All right, everybody, I want to start with a little bit of audience participation today. I know it's a little bit weird because we're not in the same room together, so I actually want the audience participation to happen wherever you find yourself. If you're in your living room, if you're at Starbucks, if you're at the gym, if you're at the office, uh, turn to the people around you sitting next to you, wherever there are people in your vicinity, I want you to turn to them and discuss this question. What causes quarrels and fights among us? Go ahead, take a few seconds, ask somebody in your vicinity, see what they say. All right. Now, I am confident um, all of us know about fights and quarrels. If uh, you're married, if you've ever been married, you know. If you have kids, if you are a kid, if you have a boss, if you are a boss, if, you're a, if you have siblings, you know all about quarrels and fights. If you're an only child, you know about quarrels and fights. If you're a teacher, if you have neighbors, if you have a pulse, you know all about quarrels and fights. And, and, and depending on your age and stage in life, the things that you fight and quarrel about change, right? We, we, we don't fight and quarrel about the same things as a 15-year-old as we do as a 51-year-old. At least we shouldn't. If you're still fighting about the same things as a 51-year-old as you did as a 15-year-old, that's, that's another message for another time. But come on, what causes fights and quarrels among us? C.S. Lewis, um, British author, lived during the Second World War, wrote a lot of really great stuff. And the great thing about C.S. Lewis, um, if you're not um, a Jesus follower, or if you're not really a church person, you're not really sure what you believe or didn't grow up in the church, uh, C.S. Lewis didn't grow up in the church either. He, he didn't grow up going to Sunday school like a lot of us did. He, he was an agnostic and became a Jesus follower as an adult. So he had some, some really unique insights. Um, and one of the most unique ideas he had was, was about hell. Uh, wrote a little book called The Great Divorce. And you say, there's no such thing as a great divorce. And you're right, but it's not about divorce. It's about hell. And C.S. Lewis strips away all of the, the medieval imagery, all of the book of Revelation imagery. Um, there's nothing, uh, you know, Satan with a pitchfork and a pointy tail running around. That there, There's none of that. His version of hell is a place where everybody got everything they wanted by simply thinking about it. And to which, to which some of you say, Tim, that, that's not hell, that's H-E-A-V-E-N. That's heaven. Just, just to get whatever I want simply by thinking of it, which is actually the point of, of his book, because he, he teases this idea out, and, and what would it look like for a society where everybody could get everything they wanted simply by, by thinking about it? And in his version of hell... Nobody gets along because nobody needs each other. And it, it, when, when you can get whatever you want by thinking of it, why would you need anybody else? There's, there's this enormous, sprawling city where everybody keeps moving further and further away from each other, isolating more and more and more because nobody can get along. 
Now, C.S. Lewis um, isn't the only one that took on this subject. James takes it on as well. And what we're going to look at today, um, if, if we would apply this to our lives, um, to our marriages, to the way we parent, to any relationship with another human being, it has the potential to push back hell. We talked last week uh, about our words, about our mouth being set on fire by the fires of hell. Well, I know this sounds like pie in the sky. Sounds like something you'd expect a preacher to say. But I honestly believe that what, what James talks about in today's passage could revolutionize human relationship. Like it, 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 it could take things in. And, and if there was ever a time to take a step back and rethink how we do human relationships, isn't right now a good time to do that? This, this, it, it's, just, it's just so powerful, but just like everything else that we've looked at so far in this series, you have to be willing to apply your faith. We, we have to be willing to do something with what we believe if it's going to do any good in, in your life, in my life, in, in, in our lives, in our world, if it's going to do any good. So if you've got a Bible or a mobile device, find James chapter 4. Let's jump into this. Let's look at it. Here's, here's the question. Again, James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? The word causes means the source or the origin. What's the source or the origin of fights and quarrels? And he gives us the answer. Don't they come from your desires, your wants, that battle within you? There's a little bit of a play on words here. He says, among you in the first sentence, and then within you, in the second, it's, it's among you versus within you. In other words, our temptation, our tendency is to think that relational conflict starts, originates among us. It's out there. It's, it's, it's beyond us because of what they did, because of what they didn't do, because of what she said. Because of what he didn't say, what they should have done, all of those things. But, but that's not really the issue. James says the source, where, where this originates, actually comes from within you, not among you. He, he, he's revealing, he's uncovering the truth of all relational conflict. It doesn't find its source outside of us. It finds its source inside of us. And, and James describes it as a battle, that, that there's this battle going on inside of us, and eventually the people around us, usually the people that are closest to us, get hit with the shrapnel or, or the crossfire, the friendly fire, all of those things. All of that stuff comes from a battle within us. And at first, it, if, if just, just kind of being honest, at first, we want to argue with them because it's hard to admit, but it's, it's also true. We, we don't like to admit our responsibility in conflict because it's not my fault you don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's not my fault you can't understand. It's not my fault you can't see how important face masks are. It's not my fault you can't see how ridiculous face masks are. See how that works? starts within us. James is pointing to this age-old issue, this common thread 
that's found in every relational conflict. It started with our very first parents in the Garden of Eden. Big word here, blame. It's blame. Now, I want to take you to the garden. You remember the story? God creates man, places him in a, a perfectly complete environment, and then sees that he's lonely, so he creates a, a, a helpmate for him so he can be in community. He gives them one rule, don't eat from that tree. And they don't trust God, they don't believe God, they eat from the tree, and sin is introduced into the story. And here's, here's, that's kind of where it gets really kind of interesting. When God finds out what happens, he asks them, have you eaten from the tree I told you not to? In other words, Who's to blame for this? And here's Adam's response in Genesis chapter 3. The man said, I did eat from the tree even when you told me not to. I take full responsibility for my actions. I'm ready for my punishment. But leave Eve out of this. She's innocent. (laughs) Is that what your Bible says? It's not what my Bible says. But. Can you imagine how different our world would be today if he did respond like that? Here's what he actually said. The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. Oh yeah, and by the way, I ate it. Lord, this is between you and Eve Leave me out of it because you're the one who put here, her here with me. She's the one who gave me the fruit. I'm not positively sure, but I think she even put it in my mouth. So God turns to Eve. Surely Eve is going to take the high ground, right? Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent, <laughs> the serpent deceived me. And oh yeah, by the way, I ate it. It was the serpent, Lord. It wasn't me. Sin introduced blame, and we've been passing it on since the beginning. But, but where does blame come from? It comes from inside of us. It, it originates with us. Back to James. He says it as plainly as he can in verse 2. You desire, but do not have. Your, your translation might say you want something, but don't get it. You desire, but you don't have. Um, anytime there are two people fighting or quarreling, doesn't even matter what the issue is. It really doesn't matter. The source, the root issue is they want something and they're not getting it. And James says, we just, we just kind of need to move past the surface level excuses and get down to the real problem. There's something you want, and you're not getting it. There's something you desire, but you don't have. And that is the issue. You're mad because she. Your kids won't listen because they. If your boss would just, if your employees would just, whatever it is, all relational conflict boils down to you desire but do not have. You want something. And you're not getting it. 
So here's just, just a point of application real quick. Here's an idea. It doesn't originate with me. I've actually told you this before. But, but when you're arguing, if you're arguing with someone, especially if it's a family member, you know, you're going back and forth. You, you, you get your index finger out, okay, even if you're not really a big pointer. You get your index finger out. You point out in the middle of the argument, and you just say, you know what part of my problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. And the other person could say the same thing. You know what my problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. And if both people do that, if both parts, both sides do that, both people would be correct. Because the source of quarreling and fights is always, 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 there's something I want. I'm not getting it. I'm arguing with you, and you're not getting something you want either. Here's the, here, here's the rub. Here's the problem. If we go there, if we admit that, that, that we're partly to blame, if we admit that, we lose leverage. Right? Our, our argument isn't as strong when we admit, yeah, I'm partly to blame here. So it's just easier to blame you. It's just easier to look at you and say, you're my problem. If you're a parent, if you've ever been around kids ever, it's really easy to see in children, right? They're, they're, they're fighting about who gets to sit in the front seat. They're fighting because she gets more M&Ms than, than he does. And as an adult, isn't it true? We hear these things, we think, would you just stop it? Just stop being so selfish. The issue isn't that she got to sit in the front seat. The issue isn't that he got more M&Ms. The issue is you're not getting what you want. And, and, and you know what I've never heard a kid say? I've never heard my kids say or anybody else's kids say. I've never heard my kids say, oh, Father, you're right. I, I just want my way and I'm not getting it. Thank you for opening my eyes to the true source of my discontent. Never heard that, ever, from any kid. And it is it, true. It's so easy to see this in kids. So easy to see this in other people. It's very, very difficult to recognize it in the mirror. And somebody will come along, and, and, and they'll say, I've heard this before. It's not that I want something. It's that I deserve something, Tim. That may be true, but come on. Don't you want what you deserve? Yeah, I guess. Well, then it's the same thing. And, and James is right. The source of every relational conflict are the desires that are battling within me. There are things that I want. There are things that I desire, legitimate or not. And I'm not getting it. James goes on to explain what happens if, it, if this is taken to the extreme. He says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. Now he's using hyperbole here. He's trying to get our attention, but he's not that far off. Because anyone who's committed murder, chances are they were trying to get something they wanted. So yes, this can absolutely lead to murder, but let's back it up a little bit and think of this in the context of just regular 
relationships. Because I bet you've seen somebody want a marriage to death. Somebody wanted something they weren't getting, and they wanted it, and wanted it, and wanted it, and pressured, and put expectations, and pressured, and put expectations, and wanted, and wanted, and wanted, until finally the marriage died, and somebody left because they wanted that marriage to death. You've, you've seen people, because of their wants and desires, kill an opportunity, um, kill a deal, kill a college scholarship, kill a career. We've seen uncontrolled wants and desires kill political aspirations or athletic careers. You just go on and on and on. And James' point is simply this. If this gets out of control, if, if, if it's uncontrolled, if you don't harness your wants and desires, if you don't understand what's going on in the background of your heart when it comes to your wants and desires, you and I, we have the potential to destroy the things that are most important to us. We have, the, we have the potential to kill something. He continues, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, we don't use that word covet very often. It just means to pursue. It means to go after something you want. So you keep pushing, you keep asking, you're not going to let up. Covetousness is the, the sin of never being content, which again, it just leads to, to quarreling just leads to fighting. You blame and you blame, and if it weren't for her, if it weren't for him, if it weren't for the governor, if it weren't for society, if it weren't for the president, if it weren't for my boss, if it weren't for all these things. And, and it's so subtle, like we don't even recognize it. Like it. It makes sense, but we don't recognize it. The problem with that is we get so focused, we get so distracted on them what they're doing, what she isn't doing, what he won't stop doing. We forget that those people, those environments never fully satisfy. They weren't created to fully and finally satisfy you. And so James says, you're never going to be able to get full and stay full taking that approach because they aren't the right place for you to go for those desires. To which, it's a great question. Okay, James, where is the right place? He tells us. Look what he says. You do not have, I'll add the words what you want because that's the implication here. You do not have what you want because you do not ask God. He says, Christians, followers of Jesus, those who have put their faith and confidence in God. Have you ever thought about asking God? Have you ever thought about getting on your knees and saying, God, I am so discontent with fill in the blank, my job, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, whatever that is. Would you please teach me to be content? God, I'm so tired of COVID. I want, I want to go back to normal. I want church to go back to normal. I'm so discontent with so many things in my life right now, but I realize I can't find contentment in all those things anyway. So would you be my contentment? Would you teach me? 
you show me how to find my contentment with you? Like, he says, has it ever crossed your mind to stop looking at other people as the problem because they can't be the solution? Has it ever crossed your mind to ask God for what you want? Earlier in his letter, James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights that does not shift, like, or does not change like shifting shadows. Maybe, maybe we're looking in all the wrong places. Maybe we're fighting and quarreling because we're trying to squeeze out of people what we can only get from God. Maybe. And James reminds us, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. He reminds us that our Father in heaven is the source of every good and perfect and complete thing in our life. So instead of trying to fill our desires to to get the things we want by squeezing it out of all the people around us, Christians... Followers of Jesus, why don't you try asking your Father in heaven to fulfill that? Because see, when, when, when you go to him as the source, instead of other people, you free yourself from an awful lot of disappointment and discouragement. When we go to our heavenly Father as the source of every good and perfect gift, he may use your spouse He may use your job. He may use your kids. He he may use some other thing or person in your life to, to do that. But ultimately, he's the source. He's the source. And when we start going to him, we will stop blaming other people for our discontentment. And so here's how I want us to end. You ready for this? Who in your life is suffering because you're not getting what you want? Who, who around you feels the pressure to change, to start, to stop, to do, to don't? Who's feeling the pressure to make you content? And what would happen in your relationship with them if you own that fact that, that, that your conflict with them has more to do with you than it has to do with them? What would happen? What would happen inside of you? And, and what could you do today through um, an email, through a call, through a, a, a conversation? Maybe you set up a lunch appointment. What, what could you do today to begin to take that unnecessary pressure off of them? Hey, husbands and wives, if you're married, I am sure that your spouse is really good at a broad range of things. They're good at their job. They're a wonderful parent. They're, they're musically talented. They're good with people. They're good with, with children. They can create poetry that fills your loins with all kinds of wonderful feelings, right? They're, they're, they're good at all kinds of things, all kinds of gifts. Can I tell you one thing they stink at? <laughs> Being God. 
they're, they're terrible at being God. Do you know who's worse than your spouse? Your kids. They're terrible gods. I know they're so stinking cute, but they're terrible gods. Your parents, terrible gods. Your sister, terrible gods. Your brothers, terrible, terrible gods. If you think other people can satisfy you, if you think you can find all of your contentment in them, think of the weight you're putting on them. Tim Keller is right. Eventually, that weight will crush them. And in the end, in the end, what you want from them, at least part of what you want from them, can only be found fully and finally in your heavenly Father. Do you know what causes fights and quarrels among you? There's something you want, and you're not getting it. And, and do you know why they quarrel and fight back with you? Because there's something they want, and they're not getting it. And, and in men and women, and children and teenagers who want a faith that works, they want a faith that, that follows Jesus, that finds their contentment in him. There's always a pause in the midst of the quarrel. There's always a pause whenever you're going back and forth. There's a literal come to Jesus moment where they say, Jesus, I know what my problem is. I'm not getting what I want. I know what my problem is. And, and part of what I want can only be found in you. So before I try to extract this from them, I want to deal with that part that can only be found in you. Would you please do whatever you need to do inside of me first before I try to get that from them? Do, do you know what causes fights and quarrels among you? You want something. I want something. And I'm not... It. So why not take it to God first? Why not seek first his kingdom? And, and maybe, maybe for some of us, we begin a brand new habit today. In the middle of a fight, middle of a quarrel, in the middle of an argument, you know what part of my problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. And move from there. See, see what that does. See what that does inside you, within you, and see what that does among you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we want to, to pause. We want to think. We want to draw our attention to you as the source of every good and perfect gift. We believe that. And God, we want to be people who not, we, we don't just believe it, but we live it out. So would you help us to live this out in practical, real ways, in, in relationships with other people? G Jesus, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you work in our lives in such a way that we understand that, that fights and quarrels don't, don't originate, they don't start outside of us, they really start within us? And then would you help us to do the hard work 
of, of owning that, of refusing to, to put blame on the people around us, of refusing to, to, to be somebody who tries to squeeze our desires and wants out of somebody else because we'll never find it in them fully and finally. And God, would you help us to be the kind of people that puts you first, that go to you first, that seek you first? And we do it, as, as James goes on to say, we do it with pure motives. We don't do it with impure motives. We do it with a heart and a desire to honestly and sincerely seek you and what you have for us, what you want for us. And God, would you help us to be the kind of people, would you help us to be the kind of church that is different, that's set apart, that's holy in the way that we deal with relational conflict, that we start inside first and we work our way out from there. Thank you for preserving this. Thank you for um, just for showing us what this looks like 2,000 years after this was written. And God, we, we ask this, we pray this all for your glory, for your kingdom, in Jesus' name. Amen.